We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of BuzzBeat, we bring on Will Pelagic to discuss recent Hornet trends, project where they can end up at the conclusion of the season, and to wrap the episode, Andrew Schlecht of the Down to Dunk podcast joins to give us a preview of the Thunder game. All that up next. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, oh. All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome in to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and I'm joined by co-host Brian today. BG, how's it going? Um, I'm doing all right. I'm doing better than the uh, the Hornets did on Sunday in Boston, even <laughs> though it's a Monday. So I'm yes. good. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, we, we are recording this on a Monday morning. We don't normally record on mornings. It's typically evenings, but we are... Uh, Joined today by Will Palazic of he's filling in for WFNZ right now these days and and I know you're a busy man Will thanks for joining us my pleasure guys and uh, yeah BG I was uh, <laughs> they were in the Easter spirit yesterday because uh, unfortunately they laid an egg yesterday <laughs> <laughs> oh, love man. it love it. Well, Will, with any new guest, we like to get to know you a little bit more, and I'm sure our listeners want to know your story. Currently, you're filling in for WFNZ these days, and I've also seen that you've done some play-by-play in your career as well. I know that any career path in the sports media world is never like a step-by-step linear type of path, but can you tell us, and again, you can spend as much time as you like on how you got to where you are today since you graduated college? So it is uh, very, very nonlinear, guys, uh, when it comes to it. Uh, I basically started right out of college, or at least last couple of years of college, doing minor league baseball play-by-play in North Carolina and Savannah, Georgia. I was in uh, in Kinston for one summer in Savannah for the summer right after I graduated. And 
decided that the minor league baseball life, as glamorous as it is, uh, was not for me. Just because uh, <laughs> tarp pulls at uh, at midnight, getting that call, that's kind of a, t- a difficult thing. And and traveling for 70 nights out of the year, while that sounded like fun in college, uh, really isn't uh, all that's cracked up to be, you know, 150 games in 104, or 140 games in 150 days. That's a, a pretty grueling schedule. And, and unfortunately, financially, it doesn't exactly pay itself uh, on that route. So I decided to go into the other side of radio, which is, again, the talk show situation. I got a job. I was, I was explaining to Richie before we went on. I was uh, in southeast Missouri, uh, Farmington, Missouri, about an hour south of St. Louis. I went to college in Columbia, Missouri, at the University of Missouri. So it was pretty close to where I was. Um and I kind of cut my chops there for about 10 months and then got back to Columbia Mo and did about four years there an afternoon drive as their sports talk host on the ESPN radio affiliate there. And uh, that's kind of really where I got my real burgeoning start doing uh, doing sports talk, did uh, three years in Houston at what is or what was then Yahoo Sports Radio turned into SB Nation Radio and is now called, I think, Sports Map Radio. They've changed names a couple different times within the same company. And then I uh, after that was in South Carolina for about two, three years, uh, did a two-year stint in Atlanta with 92.9 The Game. And now I'm up here. I uh, kind of followed our boss up from Atlanta to Charlotte, and I'm doing stuff for FNZ. It's my second time back at FNZ, actually, because uh, I did a little bit of work for them in uh, June of 2019. I was actually on the air the week that P.J. Washington was drafted. So uh, it's a nice return to uh, the Queen City for me, and uh, it uh, has been very welcoming so far, I have to say. Has anyone told? Well, I'm sure they've told you this that you have you have a voice for radio. Is, is that something that you have to practice on? With? I, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot, and, and really, it's I, I don't try to put it on. Like right. that's some people try to think. Oh, well, is that your real voice? I really don't do anything else that just uh, turn anything. Like this is just the way I speak. This is the way I speak to my girlfriend. This is the way I speak to my my mom and dad when I'm on the phone. So it really is just kind of it just kind of flows. That's all Dude, it is. I, I know some people that. Uh, that hosts are working radio and the switch they flip between on air and off air is, uh, it's, in, it's interesting. It's start, this, you know, it'll catch you one off guard. Dude, he's a friend of mine. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say his name, but there's this one dude who I used to do. He was in our minor league, uh, the same league that we were in. Mm-hmm. And he just, I mean, it was so, it almost sounded like it was, uh, like it was a clown almost like he just yeah. he just went from you know talking normally to like hey hey welcome in yeah. i'm like oh my gosh yeah like yeah. what like you don't have to do this like yeah. you have a very great awesome voice like you don't have to turn into you know the ringmaster for ringling brothers every time you uh come back to do play-by-play it was so weird with the, the risk you also run into i can think of a couple of examples of this too of radio guys that have have had that switch between normal voice and show voice, but then they get addicted to show voice and then show voice becomes their normal voice. And then it's, you have a real calamity because now it's on all the time. It's one voice, but you sound like you can't like, you know, you're ordering a burger and it sounds like you're trying to, you know, get into that day. Can I get a Big Mac with yeah, a side of fries and a <laughs> large Diet Coke? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not great. So it's best to have the uh, keep it natural. As well as that's all, that's all, that's all I try to I try to keep yeah. it one hundred, as the yeah. kids say. <laughs> 
Now you said that you didn't like the uh, the life of minor league baseball play by play, but would you ever like if you were offered a job to do a play by play for a specific team, whether that's major league or minor league, would you ever do that? Oh, I would absolutely. I mean, that's see. Here's here's the terrible thing, and I think this is the really dirty secret about our business is that it's very, 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 very hard to do each of those skills individually. I almost find it impossible to do both on a daily basis. Like when I was in, in Missouri, I was having to do a daily air shift on a country station. I was having to basically be the sports director of the entire network that we had there, uh, call play by play for high school and, uh, our junior college down there and also host a show on the weekends. I mean, that's a lot of time. That's yeah. a lot of, that's a lot of hours and, I just feel like if you're doing one or the other, uh, it's great. But if you're trying to do both, it's uh, it's a real, real hard mix to try and get under. So I haven't completely closed the door to play by play. I absolutely love doing it. it it's not something that I really have a, a vision on doing right now. But if the opportunity ever came up, whether it was uh, minor league, major league, professionally, if, if, if the situation mm-hmm. worked out for me in that regard, I, I wouldn't say no. And people may not also know this too, unless you work in minor league baseball. I did just one summer had a, had a job while I was in college with a minor league team. It's like all hands on deck. Oh, you're doing everything. Yeah. You're doing everything. Like I worked in the sales and marketing department, but that meant cleaning up fireworks scraps after the game every Friday night. Oh, absolutely. Too, you know? So and if those games went into extra innings, like the fireworks were getting shot off Friday night, no matter what. So you might be out there at midnight on a Friday cleaning up, you know, fireworks, scraps. fireworks, scraps were the worst. Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and wondering gosh. like how many wrong moves did I make to get to this point where I am? I, I love minor league <laughs> baseball, but that summer yeah. was a uh, eye opening. Well, the weird the thing, cause the, the, the one year I did in Kinston, I traveled. And then the other mm-hmm. year in Savannah, I uh, only did home games and, and stayed back with the team while they were out on the road. But I really don't know which one I'd rather be because hmm home games when I was in Kinston, I'd be up at like eight o'clock printing out stat packs for scouts and for the visiting broadcast and for ourselves. And, you know, you clean the booth, you gotta, and again, if it rains, you're, you're basically on tarp duty. I mean, there's, there's, there's all kinds of different, I I mean, there's God love the people who do it, uh, who are lifers. Yeah. It just, that to me is, is a, a hard way to go through, uh, a 150 days yeah. straight. I mean, that, cause that's half a year. So yeah, Brian, I even heard you were the, uh, the bullpen catcher at one point too, right? Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> what my knees are so messed up these days. And I also had to, I, sometimes too, they, they make you put on the mascot suit too, to do appearances. <laughs> I, luckily, luckily I didn't have to do that because the guy that was the mascot for the minor league team was like, suited to go become a professional mascot. Like he went to the Philly <laughs> fanatic, like mascot Academy. I think he was also Mr. Wolf at NC state. So like yeah. he had the mascot duty locked, but everything else everyone's responsible for. I had to know? do it like one or two times and <laughs> it was not fun. Yeah. Like you could see my neck, the, the, the costume <laughs> didn't exactly fit me correctly. And so all the kids were in on the take and it was just, it was, it was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get into some Charlotte Hornets talk. Uh, not sure if it's worth discussing this 30-point loss to the Celtics on Sunday, but maybe we can touch upon a couple of things briefly. I know that Will didn't want to speak of it ever again. Uh, the Hornets, no, no. no. But they, they struggled mightily on offense. That was very evident from this game. I, I know that uh, Rozier was the quote-unquote player of the game as he was deemed by the Hornets, but I actually was more <laughs> impressed by Cody Zeller and Devontae Graham. I, I thought they played the best in this game. And best is a term that I'm going to use loosely for this game. <laughs> when it, whenever Zeller enters the game, um, you, you just feel it. The scrappiness, the, the, the screen setting, the offensive rebounds. He does things to extend the play. And then Graham was good as well. He shot the ball well from deep, from mid-range, distributing the ball in the pick-and-roll situations. You're, you're seeing him play more off-ball than last season in his rookie season, which I think is is good, but I, I think you might have to start see him use Graham with the ball in his hands a little bit more moving forward with Monk out and LaMelo out. But I don't know if you guys want to spend any time on this game. Do you guys have any specific thoughts about this game specifically, or do you guys want to get into some big-picture stuff? I mean, to me, Richie, the glaring thing that you look at is that this is what happens when you take 44% of a team's offense away from it. And one of the things I asked James Borrego before the game is, you know, how do you how do you change that? And one of the things I've also tried to, I guess, get and gleam from him mm -hmm. is when you get to a certain point in the season, you are who you are. You you can't change your identity, especially with the condensed nature of games, the lack of practice time, and the fact that when you're in the NBA, these teams know each other all significantly well, and they all run a lot of the same stuff. So it's not as if you're going to bring anything so completely innovative to the table that's going to throw a team off, especially if you are dealing with and again, I say this very kindly, a lack of scoring talent on the floor. So they are really going to have to, pardon the cliche, grind it out and survive for this next little stretch of two to three weeks where they have all three of those guys out. You know, Maybe you get Malik back after a two to three week stretch. Uh, maybe Gordon, after a month, can return to basketball activities. And of course, we're all wondering whether or not LaMelo Ball's wrist is going to heal before a potential playoff run. But uh, you saw last night a microcosm of just how bad it could look. That's not to say that it's going to look like that every night, but mm -hmm. against quality teams and against the teams that you're jockeying for position against, you're going to have to win some ugly basketball games, not unlike the ones that they did in this stretch where they were without just LaMelo Ball for about seven or eight games. Yeah, I think missing that much perimeter talent and playmaking is really tough. And then you throw a defense that has Marcus Smart, who was awesome against Charlotte defensively and Jalen Brown. Uh, as those guys on ball defenders and, and Tatum as a 
as a helper. It's really that's really tough for a team that's so strapped for playmaking right now. Um, my biggest concern once I saw the news that Hayward went out was going to be out for a significant portion of time was, you know, I know LaMelo Malik and Gordon play different positions, right? You know, you've got a, you've got a primary, you've got a, a combo guard in Malik and you've got a big wing in Hayward, but all of those guys have different, even though they are, they're different spots, they, they control a lot of the playmaking. So it's not just, Oh, Charlotte's missing X number of points and assists. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. they are. But it's like, how do they, how does Charlotte generate when you're like thinking about the actual like granular aspect of like, how does Charlotte generate offense in the half court? And a lot of it is with those guys creating off creating with the basketball in their hands. That's what allows Terry Rozier to float around and run off screens and, and bomb threes, um, as opposed to trying to like create one on one against Marcus Smart or whatever. Like yeah. that's 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 a lot. That's a, that's far more difficult. Um, I looked this up this morning. These are uh, according to NBA tracking data: drives per thirty six minutes from this roster. Uh, Lamelo Ball fourteen point six tops on the team. Monk's got to be uh, second, right? Mal- yeah, Malik Monk twelve point one second on the roster. Gordon Hayward third on the roster twelve. Terry Rozier nine point eight drives per thirty six minutes. Devonte Graham six point five. So the guys that really are like your pressure points with a live dribble. Those guys just aren't out. They're not, they're out right now. All at the same time, there's no all-star break for you to sort of like, you know, get one of the, you know, they're all going to be out for multiple mm-hmm. weeks. There's no like real break inside these games. They're just going to keep coming and coming. So yeah, I'm a little bit worried. Um, and Richie, you brought up a great point about Zeller too. Like, it's just so much easier for them to get the ball from one side to the other when he's in at center. You saw Boston start the game switching with Biz in, and Charlotte actually had pretty good success against Boston switch. But when they started icing those ball screens um, and trying to keep Charlotte on one side of the court, they weren't able really to get to the second side as much as you'd like to see this team do, which like they're not the Utah Jazz, but they do want to get this thing to the second and the third side. Um, they're not running as much just straight spread pick and roll this year. So, um, yeah, that Zeller becomes critical. Mm-hmm. Miles becomes a critical playmaker. And, and obviously they need more from from PJ. He's just got to give them more offense than he did against uh, Boston. Hey, I want to stop down on PJ in just a second, but I want to go back to something you said, uh, Brian, just because of the fact that I feel like, you know, a lot of people, the, the casual basketball fan will just say, oh, well, Terry and Devontae have to step up. That's a lot to ask of them, especially yeah. when James Borrego is sagging their minutes in a way where he needs to have at least one of those guys on the floor at a given time. Those guys play best when they're on the floor together. And I don't think that NBA defenses get nearly enough credit based on the metrics that are presented. You know, we see the points per games are in the, the 110s and things of that nature. And people will say, oh, well, NBA teams don't know how to play defense. That is completely untrue. Yeah. Uh, the fact the matter is NBA teams when you at least perceive a weakness they are so good at flowing defense to a certain area Mm -hmm. and you saw that on Sunday night against Boston they had no particular answer for the way that Boston was shifting their defense toward Terry when he had the basketball or toward Devontae when he had the ball when he was alone out there on the floor and was the lone sole distributor I asked Terry Rozier about this uh, after I believe it was the Indiana game I said are you okay with 
being on the floor as the sole ball handler in those situations. And he said he was. He said that was how he was drafted to play in this league. But that is, again, him saying what he has to say. The problem is they have no choice at this point. They they do have no choice. You're, You're losing your three best playmakers in ball Hayward and Monk and Devontae Graham is a playmaker, but just with his role this season, you're just not seeing it with him playing off the ball to your point earlier, Will, about, you know, the team is what they are at this point in the season. And one thing that has gotten them to this point has been their pace of play. I think that that has got to be the biggest thing moving forward because the playmaking in the half court is not is not great right now. So they're going to have to take advantage of getting out into early offense, getting steals, getting rebounds, and pushing the pace and, and trying to create an advantage that way. Because once when they slow it down in the half court, you're going to have Terry Rozier pounding the rock a little bit more than you would want him to because you want him off the ball. So I don't think they did the greatest of jobs against Boston on Sunday and getting out in transition, but that's something that's going to have to happen. It also sucks because they are down in body. So now they're going to have to be more yeah. conditioned and you know the stamina is going to have to be built up. So it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword in, in, in that part. All of this stuff is like connected, yeah. uh, but it's hard when, when Boston's making you take the ball out of the net because they scored at will in that game. It's hard for you to really get your, your run game going. But this was like Charlotte, 16.7 seconds per offensive possession, which like that is about it's over two and a half seconds longer right. per, I mean, it's one game, but they're about 14 seconds per offensive possession this season, which is top 10 in the league. Um, that's been trending down without LaMelo, obviously, but yeah, they, to your point, Richie, they were not able to get out in, in, in fine transition uh, opportunities yesterday. And to be clear, guys, that's not to say that there isn't an avenue for Charlotte to win games and for them to play well it just has to go through two guys. It has to go through P.J. Washington, and it has to go through Miles Bridges. You saw it the other night against Indiana where he went for 23 and, and looked very, very good when he was moved back to the three, and they had that much different-looking lineup than we're used to seeing there with Bridges playing off the wing and, and doing the drive and, and mm-hmm. also shooting threes. But you got to find something offensively out of P.J. Washington. I do not know what's been going on with him the last eight or nine games, but he's been an enigma offensively. Uh, he hasn't uh, sagged off in other parts of his game. Like He's still been good on defense and also gotten rebounds. But for some reason, he's lacking offensive confidence. His shot has not been the same thing that it has been at earlier parts in this season. He as tentative in the post. He's looking to always pass. Mm -hmm. He can't just be a ball mover. He has to be a scorer. If this team wants to do anything over this next stretch of two to three weeks, the points have to come from him. He has to take some of that pressure off of Terry and Devontae. Yeah, he had this one play in the third quarter where he caught it in the corner. Yeah, Yes, Jason Tatum was closing out on him, but he had plenty of space to shoot this ball, and uh, Mm -hmm. he he didn't. And the, the gap closed, and it ended up being like a... I think a pull up shot from Miles Bridges, which was like an air ball. So, you know, mm-hmm. he's got to be more confident, like you said, Will, and, and be more assertive. His season has been so weird, so weird. Up, down, mm-hmm. up, down. Um, he, he had stretches where he did play well, but recently uh, it has not been great. Well, despite this loss, guys, let, let's move to more optimistic. Uh, the Hornets are still over 500 uh, with this team mm-hmm. being in the position that they are. They've had to, you know, have some kind of luck here and there. But they've also shown up in the clutch, Will. Uh, This team, dating back to even last season, has been very good in these types of situations. They've shot the ball very well, 
and Rozier has been a big reason for this. W- what do you make of Terry Rozier this season and, and just this team when it comes to late game situations? Well, I was making a joke earlier in the year that when they're at home, they should just put four on the period uh, timer there just to make sure that Terry knows, hey, it's the fourth quarter every time. And because <laughs> that's when most of his points have come in. I haven't seen a player be so night and day from the first three quarters to the fourth quarter, like I have with Terry Rozier. And it's really hard to quantify how that happens. He just, he becomes a different player. He becomes more of an aggressor. He, uh, his usage rate goes up considerably. And also he's just looking to, to be that, that killer instinct guy. And I think that the other guys on the team are receptive to that. They, they run a lot of different offensive sets too in the fourth quarter than they do in the first three. And it's also something that James Borrego has, has really kind of stopped down on and said, Hey, you know what? We have been a team that's been known over the course of time to, to not be good in those situations. So over the last year and a half, he has really zeroed in on, okay, how can we be better in games that are, uh, hanging in the balance. The biggest challenge right now for the Hornets is to get games to that level because they do know how to play with poise down the stretch. And I also feel like their defense, which again has been much like PJ Washington's game, very up and down over the course of this season in games where they've played in those clutch situations, their defense in the fourth quarter has been lights out, even in games where they've lost the the game uh, against Phoenix a uh, couple week or a weekend ago. Uh, they played incredible defense down the stretch to, to get that game to overtime. It didn't uh, turn out to be a victory for them, but uh, it was a lot because of their defense and how they got that game to overtime. I think, uh, if they get to that point, they, they step up on both ends of the court. They are the only team in the NBA that actually has an undefeated record heading into the fourth quarter, uh, and, and they hold on to those leads. Uh, there's quite a bit of places that you can look up clutch stats, but if you look at this Hornets team on a night-to-night basis, they definitely come up big late, and it's a combination of all different types of players on any given night, but Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham are your biggest, most fearless players when it comes to those situations. If you look at some of the stats, it's just like, you know, whether it's true shooting percentage, three-point percentage, two-point percentage in the fourth quarter or late in games, they're, they're probably top five in all those, you know, categories there. And uh, over the summer, I had asked JB whether or not losing Kimba Walker actually helped him get more creative in late game situations and not focus solely on one player. And he kind of hinted that there, there might be some kind of correlation where players are just out there making the right play, making the extra pass, getting the best look for the team. So I know there's got to be some of that too as well, Brian. Yeah. And I think J like JB's certainly right when he says that Um, there may be even a little bit of modesty too. like JB is a great play caller. He is. We've talked about this a little bit as trying to explain outside of some shooting luck, like why are the Hornets, have they been good in the fourth quarter? And we've mentioned the guards, the playmakers. We've certainly mentioned the shooting luck. We've also talked about JB's a great after timeout play caller. Um, Rozier is the target of a lot of those too, right? Like they, mm-hmm. a lot of these actions they run are designed to get him catch and shoot threes. Uh, we've seen all of them dozens of times now at this point. And Rozier, to his credit, I mean, his numbers in the fourth quarter are ridiculous. 27% usage in the fourth, uh, sub 8% turnover rate. 
and uh, 66% true shooting. The, the just monster efficiency stats uh, as an offensive player. But it mean, hell, LaMelo and Malik Monk have been very good in the fourth quarter as well. So not having those guys is tough. In general, Charlotte's like pick and roll numbers are like down in terms of volume this year. Um, and I really wish I could sort those by just like spread pick and roll, right? And sort of see where... Cause like, I think even think some of these pick and roll possessions that are getting tracked are, you know, it's like Gordon Hayward off the side off a side ball screen. It's not just as much like spread pick and roll for Devante or for Terry or whatever. So I, I think that's something they're going to have to get back to, but man, yeah. Rozier uh, has turned into a, just a, a very nice second side offensive player who has some on ball creation. And he really does seem to turn it up in the, uh, the fourth quarters. Well, the problem Brian is that, the reason they don't play a lot of straight up pick and roll is the pick guy and the roll guy aren't exactly offensive threats. And that's the part of it. I think they'd play a lot more of it if they had a more offensive minded big. And that's why I feel like there was such a desire for them to get, you know, a Vucevic or a miles Turner at the deadline, because I feel like that would have opened up so many other avenues offensively for this team because of the fact that you have a guy who's the screener who actually is going to be a threat. No, no one follows the screen guy when it's a guy like a Cody Zeller or Bismack Biombo, where you don't know whether they're going to catch the pass half the time. Like that's part of the reason why I feel like they are somewhat limited in, in the kind of sets that they can run. Mm-hmm. That's a good segue to our next segment here in terms of, you know, one area in which has not been very promising, Will, has been the center rotation. Uh, it's been all over the place. I think part of it has been performance. Part of it has been injuries. Part of it has been JB just trying to keep kind of, you know, combinations the same within the rotation. Uh, the one question that I always wonder is, do you think that Borrego actually favors Biz in that starting position, Will? And is that something that's going to be, you know, the the mainstay throughout the course of the season? And if the Hornets make the playoffs, he's going to be starting? Or is this just type of like a now thing? Like he's just starting biz for the now? Because I think gathering what you've just said there, I probably think that you think Cody Zeller is the better option. But it, ultimately, it's up to Borrego. Zeller's a better offensive option. I think anybody with two eyes can see that. The, the problem is... He has been, at least in times, a liability defensively. There was one game, I forget which one it was. He was, and again, I hate using plus minus as an indicator, but I feel like sometimes it can be used to uh, tell the bigger picture in terms of defense. He was a minus 19, and Biz was like a plus two. And that kind of disparity, when you're talking about the same position, I think is incredibly glaring. And so the one thing that I think James Borrego has said is that if you can defend, you're going to get minutes because they've sacrificed defense on a number of fronts this season to try and get more points, but they can't do it at every position. That's why you saw an uptick in Cody Martin's uh, numbers, Mm -hmm. especially in the last little bit here, last two or three weeks, because he knows he can count on defense, even though offensively he's a very limited player. And the same thing I think goes for biz. If Cody Zeller, brought you any kind of defensive presence on a night-in and night-out basis that matched what Bismack Biombo brings to the table. And again, it's not like Bismack Biombo is an elite rim protector, but he at least knows how to direct traffic in a way on defense. He does a lot of those things that James Borrego needs from somebody who anchors the middle of his defense. And it's just not the kind of thing that Cody Zeller is either apt to doing or does on the same level. Again, neither of those guys is going to be Kevin Tumble. Like, like let's let's not say that. Let's let's not let's take that out of the equation. But the point is, is that 
for whatever reason, James Borrego feels more comfortable using Biz defensively because so many times either Cody gets in foul trouble or Cody gets beat or Cody, again, doesn't bring the kind of offensive numbers that justify keeping him in the lineup. So he has to score at a clip that justifies keeping him in the lineup to at least make up for the defensive liabilities that he has vis-a-vis Biz. Yeah, it's... um. I'll be like, I really do think come playoff time, I've said this to uh, Richie to you before. Like, I think they've got to get, if you're thinking about the 48 minutes per game at center, they've got to get as close to pos- as possible to having all 48 of those minutes be Zeller and, um, and PJ playing small ball five. I just don't, uh, in a playoff series or a play in scenario, man, it's going to be tough to really, when the stakes are really high, it's it's going to be tough to, and teams can really scheme and game plan for you. It's just going to be tough to play four on five offensively. I know Biz tries hard on the offensive glass and he's a, yeah. he can be a finisher in the dunker spot or whatever, but like, that's it. That's it. And even then, um, you know, he's not like the, not lighting the world on fire in either of those capacities. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do think as well, like what's going to be big for Charlotte in the interim, especially without Hayward, because he's such a linchpin to unlocking so many of these versatile lineups for them. But like the Devante, Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, Cody Zeller five, that lineup is going to have to be really good for the next two to four weeks for Charlotte. And then the PJ at five miles at four plus Devante plus Terry Rozier plus, I don't know who the fifth person is going to be. And that's something that Charlotte is going to have to figure out like right now it's probably Cody Martin, but it could be Caleb. It could be Jalen McDaniels. You know, maybe it's Brad Wanamaker who played. I mean, that that would be a pretty small lineup, but Wanamaker played okay against Boston and, you know, did not shoot well this season in golden state. But last year for Boston, if you play Brad Wanamaker 15, 20 minutes per game last season, he was pretty good and he could shoot. So maybe there's something there, but yeah, it's going to, I really think it's going to be, it's going to really come down to in this, in this interim period, um, how much juice can they get out of Devonte, Terry, Miles, PJ Zeller, then the small ball PJ Miles at four or five? Which offensively, those lineups have killed this mm-hmm. season. They've been dynamic, elite in terms of their efficiency and shot selection. Um, but a lot of those lineups have had you know Gordon Hayward on the court too, or or Lamelo or Malik. Um, so just who's going to be the fifth guy in those small ball lineups? I think is going to be something that there's no obvious choice. Um, God bless Cody Martin, man. He tries hard, but yeah. the guy just can't make a three. And like, he's an okay defender. I, I probably was a little too high on his individual defense after his rookie season. Like he's not a stopper. Um, he makes mistakes on that. And he, like, I think he's an okay defensive wing, but like, you know, it's, you can't just be like, Hey, go guard Jason Tatum, go take him out of the game. Like, you know, Cody or go take Kemba out of the game. Like Cody can't really do that. Um, so I don't know. They're going to have to figure that out. Um, and it's not going to be, it's, it's not going to be super easy for them either. These are, these are like tough. They're in a really, they're in a, they're in a rather, rather tough spot. Richie, what do you think of, uh, of any of those sort of like small ball options? You know, PJ Washington is probably the best option at the backup center position. I, I favor Cody Zeller over Biz in the starting role. Will um, I, I know that mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a give and take with those two. It's a give and take. And, and I'm and I'm not a Biz Max Stan account by any means. I'm not trying. I'm just <laughs> I'm just going by 
way the way that <laughs> JB has organized this rotation and what he said to us. Believe me, I, I want to see Bismack DNPCD as much as anybody does. Yeah. That's that's me. But yeah. I, I'm just telling you, that's the way that he has at least right. shaped the rotation. And yeah. I also feel like to your to your point about PJ Brian, PJ handles guarding the five, I think a lot better than we give him credit for. Mm-hmm. The problem is with his increased usage at the five, that also correlates with where his offense has gone to heck in a handbasket. So that's mm-hmm. the part of it that, that scares me about PJ is that he's a better offensive player as a four than he is as a five. Yeah, they do get this when they, when PJ is in, this doesn't happen a lot and maybe not as much as I'd like it to, but when they get to, when PJ's at five and they get to some of those five outlooks with he or miles having the ball in the middle of the court and the spacing is so perfect. I'm just like, God, I wish this team could play like this all the time. I know that's mm-hmm. not ideal. Um, and then in Richie, I was thinking about this after you, Spencer and I talked about it last week. I think Spencer is, is on to something when he says JB is, really trying to like maybe save save Zeller as much as possible for a stretch run in terms of his health and fitness and stamina. I also sort of think maybe one of the other thoughts that creeped into my mind yesterday was one, especially with how they're staggering these minutes around with the second unit and stuff like that, that maybe you can play biz with the starters, knowing that there's going to be more offensive talent around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then when they get deeper into the wing rotation, there's less ball handling, there's less playmaking on the court maybe Zeller as the guy that can, you know, move help move the ball from side to side in the middle with short roll passing or with some of his, you know, some of those five out looks, maybe Zeller can help sort of like boost the second unit offense a little bit was another thought that creeped into my mind as a, as a possibility for why this is happening. But like uh, uh, pure speculation yeah. on, on my point yeah. there. And, and I also feel like guys, you've got to figure out a way to unlock Jalen McDaniels. I like was going to bring him up. Yeah. Yeah. That That's the guy who I feel like could be the X factor. And again, we have to also understand no one player is going to replicate or replace the level of scoring that you lose with the triumvirate of LaMelo Malik and Gordon not being there. But if there's anybody who can at least take the spot and give you that kind of microwave man roll off the bench that I feel like you can get with Malik Monk. I believe you can get that out of jail McDaniels. If he gets some more consistent run, I feel like he's a much better driver than some of these other guys that they've had at that role. And I also feel like he has enough on the other end too, to really make up for a lot of their deficiencies defensively. So he's somebody who I feel like JB has tried to find a place for. Yeah. And uh, he said yeah. yesterday before the game that the reason why he hasn't gotten the minutes has nothing to do with him. It's just wanting to look at other guys. But if there's anybody who needs to make the most out of this next stretch, it's McDaniels. Cause I feel like he can have an irreplaceable role on this team. If he can at least, uh, uh, prove that he's a reliable member of this core over the course of this next two to three week stretch. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen what Cody and Caleb can do. We, we've seen what Brad can do. Jalen McDaniels, I think out of anyone on this roster, is going to have the biggest opportunity to show what he can bring to this team. You know, even if that means when everyone comes back healthy, he goes back to the end of the bench. But like for this stretch run of these next three to four weeks, he's going to have to be a big player with this team. He's a low usage guy, but, you know, he, he can yeah. cut. He can, 
He can hit the occasional three. He's lanky. He's got that build that you know that you'd like to see out of that three slash four type of player. He can defend. Will I think that he's actually a pretty good perimeter defender, and uh, he's going to try moves hard. Well, moves well side to yeah, side. Yeah. I mean, he's he's got great agility. He's a good defender. Yeah. I, I agree. I think there's untapped potential with him there. Richie, you highlighted a nice play he had yesterday. Yeah. Where was PJ posting, or was it Miles? It was and Jalen cut PJ. weak side to the lane for a, for a finish. And that was one of those plays where you're talking about some of these small ball options. That's a play that you should really should probably factor into the decision-making process here. Like that's the kind of off ball movement you want. And then I would also like his sort of like switch potential as I mean, Charlotte's switch was so bad yesterday. God against Boston. I just like sometimes the indecision at those like mesh points defensively for them. It's like they can't decide whether they want to switch or not. And they get caught in between. But I do think if you had McDaniels, PJ, Miles across the front line, then you are pretty switchy and athletic and, and versatile. And that's maybe ways for you to hide Rozier and Devante. Like if those guys get switched on to a bigger guy, that guy goes to the post. Well, you can just switch out behind the play with any of the forwards, right? With with PJ Miles or or uh, or Jalen. Well, I have a question for you. I got a couple more questions for you, but this one pertains to, to Hayward. Obviously, it's been. An unfortunate set of news recently with all these injuries, and he's going to be out for at least four weeks with that foot sprain. But, you know, just looking back on the season, looking back on, you know, what he's done to bring this team to where they are now, you know, what what has been your evaluation of him for this team? Because I know a lot of people were shocked, slashed, you know, not upset, but they were just kind of like, okay, now we're going to pay him again, pay pay another person a lot of money. But what, what has he brought to this team in, in your eyes? Well, I'll... Uh... I'll at least come out here and admit it. I was one of these people who was out here saying it was probably the poster child on how to waste money. <laughs> I was I, I was really at the forefront of people saying, I don't understand the move. I don't understand paying this guy $40 million over four years. Well, you could be uh, right in a couple years. You could be right in a couple I years. I could be. Yeah. I could be. But the fact of the matter is, is that now you're seeing – at least when he's on the floor. And again, I feel like part of the reason that kind of went against him was the availability factor. And again, you can't blame a guy for always getting hurt all the time. A lot of times in the NBA, these freak things happen. I feel like you you can blame a guy for having soft tissue injuries from time to time, but I feel like all the Gordon Hayward stuff uh, has really been just freak injuries. You know, the avulsion fracture and, and the sprained foot just, I mean, he comes down on a guy's leg. That's not something that you can necessarily look at and say is anything you can predict dick so that part of it is tough, but from the on-the-floor aspect, he's been everything that he's been advertised to be. He probably scores the quietest 20 to 21 to 22 points per game of anyone I've ever seen. He just somehow, you know, you look up at the end of the game and he's got 21 and you wonder how the heck it happened. I mean, he's a mid-range guy, a very mm-hmm. throwback guy in that regard. I still feel like uh, the real key part of his game and the nights where he's really shined the brightest is when he gets to the free throw line. I feel like he had kind of backed off on that in the middle part of the stretch here at the beginning of the, uh, uh, end of all-star break period. He kind of got back to that a little bit recently and he'd started to kind of find some form again, which is the real discouraging part about, uh, the timing of his injury. But he certainly brought a lot to the table in terms of leadership and just, 
kind of a calmness. And and Terry has talked about this too, uh, from a standpoint of, you know, when Gordon's out on the floor with him, uh, there's a lot less worry in the Hornets game. And there's a lot less panic when it comes to how they get through certain offensive sets. And while he might not do the things that show up in the box score, I know that's a cliche line. I hate using it, but he's the prototypical guy that when you say that about him, it it really does fit. And so they lose a lot that you don't realize when he's not on the floor. And that's, I think, the biggest part of, of just, just outside of the, the scoring aspect that they're going to miss with him as he's out here for a month plus. Yeah, I mean, that that calming presence as they keep referring to him, like when he's on the court, things slow down. You, you know, the Hornets have a fast pace, but it feels like when he's out on the court, if the turnovers... It's more controlled. It's more, more controlled. controlled. The turnovers might yeah, start yeah. to pile up, and then they're like, okay, Gordon Hayward will start to control that offense a little bit more. He can score on all three levels. We've talked about this before. You can run offense through him. He does put up a quiet 20 points because you, you look up at the box score and before you know it, he's at 16 by halftime. And you're just like, wait, where did all those points come from? And I think that speaks to him slowly kind of inserting himself into the game. There are times in which you wish he was a little bit more aggressive. And once when you start seeing those free throw numbers go up, that's probably a good indicator of how aggressive he is. Just look this up. He actually has the most free throw attempts on the team, which I would have thought would have come from a bigger player. But uh, that's that's crazy that he does yeah. do that. And it, I think that's been kind of a revelation for him this season. There just aren't that many six foot eight guys on planet Earth that can run, pick and roll, that can post up, which Hayward can do, that can shoot from all three or four levels um, and that are good passers. And then like are like also like decent defenders <laughs> like uh, Hayward sort of checks all of these boxes. He's a to say he's like a complete offensive player um, is really sort of oversimplifying like just how much he can do, which is that he can score from every level of the court. He can distribute from every level of the court and he can either start the possession in the post. He can run off screens and he can run pick and roll and they use him in pick and roll plenty. They use him in chin pick and roll. They use him inside pick and roll off those Iverson cuts and like, yeah, they're going to like lose just taking a guy like that off the court is, is really hard because He's a stabilizing force and he makes it tough to get ready for Charlotte because he can just puncture a defense from every spot in the half court. Um, And it's so it's tough to it's just tough to have that just like vaporized for a couple of weeks here. Yeah. Long, Long term, big picture, guys. Gordon Hayward has to be the third best player on this team in order for the Hornets to have the maturity of this franchise get to where they want to be as a perennial contender. You feel like LaMelo ball has to be the best and whichever next piece you add franchise little piece, whether it's a big, whether it's somebody who can play the foil or the compliment to LaMelo ball has to be the second best. And Gordon Hayward has to be the third best. And that has to be basically your three and, and maybe even have Terry Rozier stick around as that four or, or whoever it might be. But that is where I feel like you unlock the best part of this franchise's potential and give, you know, the best opportunity to retaining LaMelo beyond his rookie deal and having some actual forward movement with this franchise beyond just, you know, a playoff win here or there. Like that's, I feel like where it has to be. Gordon Hayward was not brought here to be the quote unquote franchise for the entirety of his four year reign. He probably is a franchise now, 
and was the franchise at the beginning of the season. But by the end of the year, he has to be the third or fourth best player on this roster. By the end of the uh, the, the contract, I should say, right. he should be the third or fourth best player uh, on this roster because of the fact that he just brings you that that underground foundational type presence that really is, is hard to quantify in a stat form. I think that his game has aged pretty well, and I think it can age even better if, to your point, Will, he is someone that is more of a third or fourth option in this offense. And if he is a third option on this offense, that means your team is, is doing well. If you constantly run offense through him and, and he's constantly required to attack the rim and, and be the focal point of the offense, with his injury history, you can only assume that maybe he's going to get banged up even more. I think he's a player that would excel later in his career as a catch-and-shoot guy and as the occasional guy that you can run offense through. But right now, it feels like you know, up until this point before he got injured, he was someone that was who we fed to in, in that half-court situation. So I want to end with this. Uh, Lamella Ball has had an impressive rookie season. I have a simple two-part question here. One, what's been your impression of him? And then two, even with the lack of games that he's going to end up with by the end of the year, do you think he can still win the rookie of the year? He has exceeded my expectations already. Uh, I feel like I didn't have the the visceral take when it came to, to them drafting him. I just I felt kind of like it, it was a fait accompli. He's the guy who was the third choice of the three top guys you had in the draft. I felt like you were basically going to take whatever was left of that top three between Edwards, Wiseman and ball. And you were going to be fine with any of those three. I understood the concerns that people had about uh, whether it was his maturity, whether it was his shot, whether it was, you know, the father's influence, all, all those things were viable concerns, but I took more of a wait and see approach. And I'm kind of glad I did because it has allowed me to appreciate what he can be in a larger sense because the fact that he is a better shooter than he was promised. Mm -hmm. He is a much better driver than he was promised. Uh, I know that the on ball defense is a little bit of a problem, but he gets his hand in the passing lanes to try and make up for it. He's gotten steals and deflections that were a big part of Charlotte's defensive success early on. And I also feel like he's a much better finisher than anybody gave him credit for uh, to his, to this point of his career. I feel like there's still, some fine-tuning that has to happen in this game. It's incredibly criminal that he's had this happen to him at a very uh, big stretch for his maturity and of his career, and I feel like uh, trying to expect him to be that guy when he comes right back is a hard thing to do just because I know that using that risk, risk is going to be very, very difficult. You kind of saw him, especially in the immediate aftermath of the injury, try to, to, use, to, to go left, and I feel like there's going to be a I don't want to say waiting out period, but there probably is going to be an acclimation period where he has to get back to, to using that wrist again. So I feel like he might be fully healed, but the, the psychological aspect of it, I think will take some time to get over because that always is something that people talk about when it comes to injuries. As far as the rookie of the year question though, I still haven't seen anything from Anthony Edwards that shows me that he has superseded what LaMelo has done. And I do feel like, and again, this is an incomplete sample size because it's not a full season. Right. You have to give some credit to LaMelo for how the team played while he was putting up the numbers that he did. I mean, of any of these guys who you're considering for rookie of the year, 
outside of LaMelo, they're all on teams that are outside of the playoff race. Like Halliburton, they're outside of the playoff race. Anthony Edwards, they're outside of the playoff race. They've already fired their head coach. LaMelo Ball had this team when he was at his peak as a team that would host a playoff series in the Eastern Conference. That has to be put in the equation, at least in my opinion, especially when he played more than half of the regular season and he could possibly play more down the stretch as well. I actually think he will win it. I, I think he will win it when it's all said and done, even if he only gets a, a handful more games towards the end of the season. Uh, and I think your point is valid that, that he's on a team or he was part of a team that was in top four spot in the East. I think the biggest things, and you mentioned it, Will, the biggest things that have stood out to me outside of the passing, that 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 is something that we knew was top notch when he came into the NBA, has been his rebounding and his anticipation off ball on defense. And both of those things lead to transition offense, right? So you got the steals, you got the the defensive rebounding. Both of these things play perfectly into what the Hornets are trying to do with their transition offense. And uh, he's just like a perfect fit for how JB wants to run things. And since his 21st game of the season, since he started, uh, he's been averaging 20 points, six rebounds, six assists, and two steals. So I do think when it's all said and done, he will win the rookie of the year. What about you, BG? Yeah, I think he I think he'll win it. Like I think he's played just enough games to get it. Um, I do think like and it helps that like, you know, Halliburton's not gonna get it. There's one guy though, and, and Will, you mentioned his name. Nick Richards and Edwards. Yeah, Nick Richards. Oh God. Um not the most encouraging stint for him yesterday mm-hmm. against Boston. No surprise. But yeah, Anthony Edwards since March, you know, averaging 24 po- above 24 points per game, uh, shooting his way up. Usage 31% in the month of March, 52% true shooting. And in two games in April, 62% true shooting on 30% usage. So he's playing more uh, as Chris Finch is sort of like turn, turn the offense over uh, to Ant. Like, if he played like this for the rest of the season, he could maybe make a case, but I, I still think LaMelo is the, is even, even at this disadvantage of not being able to play for extended periods of time. I think he's still the, the favorite to win it. Yes. All right. Before we sign off, we'll let our listeners know where they can find you online and anything that you want to promote. Go right ahead. Well, this week I'll be on with uh, Stan Norfleet doing uh, the afternoon show from two until six, uh, while Nick Wilson takes some well-deserved R and R. He had actually gone like eight week or eight months without a vacation, so he's uh, he's back now in Ohio with his family, and uh, he'll be back next week. But uh, but I'll be on with Stan uh, for that uh, stretch here this week from two until six, and uh, doing some other fill-in work. I'll be doing some stuff around the Panther draft as well. We're doing uh, actually a pretty awesome mock draft series that drops every Wednesday, uh, which involves uh, the NFL persuasion, if you will. But uh, for the rest of it, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Willie P. Style, uh, also uh, on WFNZ.com, and uh, I'm basically in every one of the uh, the Hornets pre and post game zooms, so uh, I I try to tweet out any interesting content that I get from those and just uh, from watching the games. But uh, it's it's been a, an interesting start so far. Uh, hopefully, we can get uh, some more meaningful games here in April and May, and maybe the Hornets can make a run here and uh, try and at least tide over this uh, this stretch of time where they don't have their top three players. All right, we are now bringing on Andrew Schlecht of Down to Dunk, a Thunder podcast on the Athletic Network. 
Andrew, I appreciate your time and some of the advice you've given me over the years. I have always been a fan of you. And with the Thunder playing the Hornets, it makes perfect sense to have you on. So how's it going? It's going great. The uh, the Thunder are are losing just as planned, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because they've actually won more games than I think uh, most people would have thought at this point in the season. And that's kind of where I want to start Based on all the stats, the Thunder really shouldn't be where they are when it comes to their win-loss record, having 20 wins. They are definitely outperforming some of their point differential and some of these other metrics. From someone that watches the team on a nightly basis, because I can't claim that I do that, what's been like one or two things that like stands out to you as to why OKC has 20-plus wins at this point? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that they have a group of guys that all try really hard which sounds like so simple they buy it and then i'll just ahead of schedule um, so I, I would say that those are probably the two biggest things with regards to the thunder's record and, and i know that, that sga is obviously injured and won't be playing in this game versus charlotte but it's hard not to start with him because like you know he was drafted by charlotte and then immediately traded for miles bridges He's been very efficient um, for this team, a player that can attack the rim, uh, a player that can finish around the rim despite not being someone that is like overly athletic. I know this doesn't necessarily pertain to this season, but in the future, do you think he can be like a second best player on a consistent playoff team? Or do you think his role is more of like a third or fourth guy? It's funny. I honestly think that he's closer to a one, the first best guy than he is even a second best guy. I thought I thought he was second best guy, best case scenario when, when the season started. That's what I thought he was going to be because he was really good last year. Yeah, uh, for the Thunder on a team that had a lot of not like obviously they didn't have superstars, but they had a, a lot of talent on last year's team. And then you strip this team down, and you're like, okay, let's see what he's really got. And it's been wildly impressive. He leads the league in drives. He leads the league in points per possession on drives. He is great in the pick and roll. He hits a step back three with consistency. He's shooting above 42% from three on the season on volume. And he's getting, he gets better every time that you see him. Now he's, he's got that plantar fascia problem that he's dealing with right now that uh, some people think it's like the Thunder trying to tank and they're just sitting him down. But he's it's like a legitimate problem. If they had a playoff game tomorrow, he would not play. Um, so there is an issue there with him. But, man, I've been impressed with him. Uh, the conversations around like what Shea is and what he can be uh, have certainly shifted a lot, even from last offseason. Uh, he continues to kind of outperform what people think he is. So... Um, yeah, I. We've even posed the question like, what if, what if a team wanted to trade the number one pick for Shea? Huh. Like, would you, would you do it um, in this upcoming draft? And I think the certainty that you have that Shea is this good, you obviously have to think about it. But I think that you, there's a chance that you say no because he's been that good. Someone that I've always admired from afar is Kenrich Williams. Um, He did go down with an ankle injury against Detroit, but he brings a ton of energy, keeps possessions alive with his offensive rebounding. 
and he's actually hitting three-pointers this season, which I did not think was a thing of the past. How would you describe uh, Kenny Hustle's game, the good, the bad, to any of these Hornets fans that are listening right now? Man, he just, he's a really smart player that in the past has not been able to knock down a jump shot, and that was really one of the big things keeping him from being a good contributor to a team because he rebounds. He can actually handle decently. He can create a little bit for himself, not a ton. Like he's not, he's not breaking guys' ankles or anything, but he can grab the ball off the rim and run the other way with it, uh, which is helpful. And he just makes plays. Like he's always putting his body on the line to make plays. I mean, almost like unnecessarily at times, <laughs> but he's just, I mean, he, he is his nickname. He is Kenny Hustle. And then with the three-point shot falling and his mid-ranger falling this season, he's turned into an extremely productive player. And he's one of the best players on the team with regards to on-off. I think he is the best on the team on the season. Uh, let me pull it up real quick on cleaning the glass. Yeah, he's a plus 13.5 um, in almost 1,000 minutes this season. So it's not even a fluke at this point. Uh, he's The Thunder are just better when he's on the court. Mm. And uh, may, that may be good news for Hornets fans because he will be off the court. I mean, and then literally almost everybody else, I don't know if Lou Dort will be playing because he's still coming back from a concussion. concussion yeah. um, the only player that has a positive differential that may be playing is uh, Ty Jerome. So yeah. that, that may be uh, good news for Hornets fans. Now, do you like his haircut, Hustle's haircut back there? <laughs> uh, it it fits it fits the uh, the the realm of Kenny's. You know, Kenny Powers had that haircut. You know, Kenny Hustle has a haircut. So I'll just leave Kenny's alone with their haircuts. <laughs> All right, we've got we've got definitely have to talk about the the Serbian uh, Pukashevsky. Uh, dude is built like a like a string bean, but uh, he's been playing better recently compared to maybe in the beginning of the season. What have you been most impressed with when it comes to his game? You know, has it been the past? I mean, what 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 has it been with his game that's impressed you the most? I mean, lately it's the variety of ways that he can score. Uh, last night he he hit this step back off the dribble, you know, mid range jumper that was kind of like out of nowhere. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, he's he's figured out how to drive the lane. And he's figured out how to score. Uh, which has been a big thing because he was really just kind of catch and shoot to start the season and it wasn't going well. Mm -hmm. um, but he's figured out how to use his craftiness to get to the rim because he's not an explosive athlete or anything like that. Because uh, he would, at the beginning of the season, he'd dribble the lane, he'd hit, a, he'd hit a defender, and he'd dribble back out or he'd pass out every single time. But now he's figuring out ways how to get fouled and how to get to the rim and how to kind of snake his way in and how to de deceive his defender to get uh, a two-point shot. So he's figured out a lot of that stuff recently, which has been good to see. Um, he obviously still lacks a ton of strength. He obviously still makes a ton of mistakes with regards to just s some stuff he tries. But uh, he's an extremely versatile player. He can really pass it. He just he thinks the game at a high level. Uh, and he's gotten better, which is good, because I think some, sometimes the worry with a lot of these rookies is the more they play, the more likely they are to hit that wall. Mm -hmm. And it's he's actually been progressing throughout his rookie season, uh, which, start, which started very, very poorly, but he's gotten a lot better. 
Yeah, it's funny. We were doing when we were doing draft prep uh, for the Hornets. Uh, one of my co-hosts, Brian, he's he's big into college basketball. He's a big into scouting, and he brought this name up. And I, I thought he was making this guy up because I've not, I've never heard the name, you know, coming into the draft prep. And uh, now that I'm seeing on the big stage in the NBA, and he's actually producing recently, it's good to see. So to wrap up this preview here, Andrew, I want to give me one thing or one player that we have not mentioned or talked about yet that you like to highlight as something that might be noteworthy in this game. Yeah, we could highlight that the Thunder are going to be playing two new guys that they they just signed them yesterday and they just happened to be available to the Thunder yesterday. Uh, Jalen Horde uh, and then Justin Robinson. Uh, they both played over 20 minutes yesterday and they might play more because they will be missing Kendrick Williams. Or Kendrick Williams. But um, look out for Lou Dort. Svi Mihailuk as well. Yeah, shooter. Uh, is a guy that's going he's going to take shots for the Thunder and he had a really nice game yesterday against his old team in Detroit. So man, a lot of ninth and tenth and G League guys <laughs> are playing on this Thunder team right now. Uh, so lots of new faces. I, I tweeted yesterday that the Thunder team is maybe the most unrecognizable team to the average NBA. Yeah. Team. So you will be introduced to guys that you have never heard of in your life. If you're a Hornets fan. All right, we're going to end the podcast here, Andrew, with some cereal analysis. I've heard your takes on cereal. I'm a big cereal fan. I actually have not had cereal in a while, but I, like, I just, I love, I love cereal. I used to love cereal. So it only makes sense that we do this quick segment. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you six cereals. You give me, or no, five cereals, five cereals. You tell me if it's underrated, overrated, or properly rated. Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms. I would say Lucky Charms is properly rated. I think most people really like it. It is a delightful treat, <laughs> and that's what it is. It's a treat. It's yes. not really a breakfast to me. I wouldn't eat it for breakfast. That might be a late. That's like a late night, like, like just a, a, if I'm capping off a podcast, like man, yeah, pour me a bowl of Lucky Charms. Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted to say overrated, but I think I would agree with the properly rated i think obviously the marshmallows is what makes the cereal if you take the marshmallows out i, I don't think lucky charms is that great of a cereal it's funny my two-year-old I, I gave him lucky charms in a bowl the other day not with milk but just gave it to him as a little snack and he ate all the marshmallows and he comes to me and he says i'm done i need more i was like no you're not done you just you just ate the best part so but that's i think that's how we all feel at times all right captain crunch uh if it's i think that it's probably overrated in that it, yes. it shouldn't get a high score at all. If somebody's giving it a high score, they probably shouldn't because all it does, like it's, I guess it's an okay tasting cereal. Right. But the, uh, the damage it can do to the inside of your mouth is <laughs> the biggest problem with Captain Grunch. And it's, uh, I can't believe it's still on the shelves, to be honest. Yeah, to be honest with you, like I feel like a lot of people do like Captain Crunch, and I just don't understand the appeal. Like you said, it just tears up the roof of your mouth. It's so hard, and I get that some cereals like get too soggy, but this is like the opposite effect. Like this is this stays hard regardless of how much milk you pour on it. Yeah, it's it's a problem. Yeah, and, it's, and it should be removed immediately. <laughs> All right, we're two for two on on how we feel about these. All right, cinnamon toast crunch. Oh, man. So I would have said before the whole shrimp fiasco that oh, yes. it was properly rated because everybody thinks it's great. Um, and now it's probably 
we're it's still probably properly rated, but I think that we're heading into underrated. Yeah. Um, because people now, and this is just a travesty, associate the shrimp tails with it, which is just, it's just not okay. Yeah. So I would say underrated at this point in that people have probably steered clear from it because they're afraid of getting shrimp tails in their cereal. Yeah, I forgot about that until you brought that up. But also, too, I feel like people don't like Cinnamon Toast Crunch just to be different. Like, I feel like, to me, yeah. to me, it's, to me, it's the best cereal. To me, it's the best cereal, um, yeah. hands down. But I think people just try to be a little bit different. So I would say underrated. All right, Honey Nut Cheerios. I'd say underrated. It's huh. a very good cereal. It, it doesn't get a lot of shine. Right. Um, I think it's delightful. Yeah. Okay. I'm a fan. I, I would say either properly or overrated because I think it's one of those cereals that is better without milk. Like just, okay. just to have as like a snack. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Last one. Frosted Flakes. Oh, man. Probably overrated because the the time of from crisp soggy is too short yeah that you better be on it if you pour your milk and then your kid (laughs) asks you for for some help you're just in trouble (laughs) so to me it's overrated just because the uh the clock just ticks way too fast once you pour the milk that's true yeah you got to get on it you got to gobble it up i do like the flavor of frosted flakes so i i i I said properly rated but to your point it does get soggy it's the opposite of captain crunch Give me a cereal that does not get talked about enough. Maybe like a Kenrich Williams of cereals here. I mean, this is the this is the perpetually underrated cereal, and it's Cracklin' Oat Bran. And most people huh. don't even know what it is, and that's why it's just crazily underrated. Uh, go check out Cracklin' Oat Bran. I'm not sponsored by Cracklin' Oat Bran. I wish to be. If you're, if anyone from uh, Kellogg's is listening right now. Um, hit me up because uh, I I can really help you with uh, some crackling oat brand branding. I just I just googled it. It does not look appetizing. It doesn't. Uh, it looks like big cat food is what it looks <laughs> like. Um, but I promise it is it is very good. The only so a couple few problems with it. The branding is really bad. Uh, the shape of the cereal is very bad. Mm-hmm. And. There's it's a small box and it's kind of expensive, um, with yeah. on like a, on cereal standards. So there's some ish, There's lots of issues with Kraftland Oat Brand. I'll bet you if it were a different shape and branded better, yeah, it would. And it doesn't even crackle. I don't even know. I don't even understand why they call it Kraftland. So <laughs> it's like they just they really messed up on maybe the best one of the best taste like top five best tasting cereal yeah. out there. I'm gonna have to try this. Um, my, my underrated or one that doesn't get a lot of shine. Have you had like the monster cereals like Booberry, Frankenberry and uh, oh, yeah. count? Okay. I'm a fan of those. I know they only kind yeah. of uh, are promoted during like the Halloween season, I feel like, but uh, not a lot of people know about those for whatever reason. I, I think it's just something that deserves a little bit more, more credit there. So, all right, before we sign off, Andrew, go ahead and promote whatever you got going on uh, with your podcast. And um, also you have a new podcast on Saturday for the athletic as well. Yeah, go listen to Down to Dunk. We cover the Thunder Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, and then I'm on the Athletic NBA show for our Saturday show. It's called Saturday Slam and Jam. We cover really what we think is interesting during the week. And then we bring on somebody for what we call the Wheel of Fandom. And it's uh, we, we spin a digital wheel and bring on a 
talk about a different team every week. This week we're talking about the Clippers. Um, so go check that out. Um, and yeah, also listen to the Daily Ding. We do a five days a week podcast on The Athletic, um, just recapping the night before. Well, very good. We appreciate your serial analysis. We appreciate your thunder analysis. We wanted to thank both of our guests today, both Will and Andrew, for joining. As always, we'd appreciate and love more ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. That'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks again for tuning in to another BuzzBeat, and we will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.